Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Business Growth Advantage. You all know that this show is really leaning more and more towards systems and team and how that can help you with your business. And today I'm really excited to introduce all of you to one of my new friends, Chris Gwynn from the Great Lakes Advisory. Chris and I connected in Chicago and I was just instantly so impressed with this almost just humble wisdom that Chris has around systems and how generous he's been with me and those I've seen him be around in, in that wisdom of systems. So Chris, first of all, thanks for being here today, man. Of course. Thank you very much for having me on, Joey. Absolutely. Before we get started, because I know you've got a lot of golden nuggets to drop here, bring us up to speed on your origin story and how you became such an expert, not only on systems and processes, but have your company that helps other businesses with the same. Yeah, of course. So kind of a quick story. Uh, my entire entrepreneurial journey started maybe a little over eight years ago or so. At the time, my dad was uh, or is a business owner and was really struggling to keep his head above water. He was constantly putting out fires, dealing with internal issues, employees not following tasks the correct way. And so he approached me and asked me if there's any opportunity to make this business uh, a little bit easier to manage. And so obviously he's my dad. I've got a lot of loyalty Ooh. towards family. So I was more than happy to take a look. And so as I began to uh, kind of dive into their operations, interview some of their employees and review their financials, I quickly come to find out that they had absolutely zero standard operating procedures, zero KPIs and zero training of any sort essentially hmm. throw the employees to the wolves and see if they can figure it out on their own. And so intuitively to me, it made a ton of sense why employees weren't following tasks the correct way because there really wasn't a correct hmm. way to be able to do anything because nothing was actually defined. And so my first initial thought process was that if we can clearly define all of the processes within their operations and then create KPIs tracked to the outcomes of their processes to really gain better visibility into their operations and then develop an awesome world-class training program that would position all of their employees for success that Hopefully, this would make the business a little bit easier to manage because all the underlying employees would really understand exactly how to perform all of their assigned uh, areas of accountability. And so took it upon myself to um, really tackle that initiative, uh, interview all of their employees, build out all of those processes, those KPIs, and that training. And then fast forward, um, really just took a step back and just saw the incredible impact from the perspective of the operations, I noticed that the uh, just because we now had all of these clearly defined processes and systems in place that actually helped to increase the overall consistency and actually improve overall productivity. But I also noticed from the employees perspective, um, employees really began to feel that the organization was investing in their overall professional development and really helping to empower them, which ultimately improved employee morale and improving retention. But then beyond that, just notice that it helped uh, my dad to be able to actually reduce some of the overall time commitments and be able to actually effectively delegate a lot of his responsibilities and reduce just the reliance on him. And so taking a step back and just realizing what an incredible impact 
that processes, training, and KPIs could have on an organization. I realized that there was certainly a much larger need for this uh, solution outside of his business. So opened up Great Lakes Advisory back in uh, 2018 to address this specific need. Wow, man, I had no idea. It's okay, before we get to Great Lakes Advisory and what you're doing now, I do want to spend some more time going through just your experience with your dad's business because I can totally relate to being around a family business where the more you look to the inside of things, the more there might not be very clear processes to say the least. It, the way that you told it makes it, it makes it sound like the the company, the team and your dad were pretty uh, open to your feedback and maybe receptive to that. Was Was that the case or did you find that there was some more like grace or finesse that you had to bring into those conversations because being, being told from any outsider, even family, there might just be some stubbornness towards what are you talking about? Here's, you know, things are going well, but it sounds like you might've been brought in knowing that there were those issues. So I'm just, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I do think that uh, I come from a very, maybe a unique family, I guess, where we are very kind of open, transparent, and very, I guess, borderline blunt and direct. Mm. Um, I would say that there are definitely other family-owned businesses that are maybe a little bit more guarded around kind of this type of information, because I think there is a sense of pride and somewhat stubbornness that you don't yeah. want to maybe admit kind of what you know or what you don't know rather. And so I think when it comes down to kind of gaining that buy-in, ultimately, I think what really drives buy-in is ultimately kind of painting the benefits in terms of the perspective of the individual that you're talking with. So from the business owner's perspective, ultimately having better processes, having better training, having better visibility, ultimately kind of drives greater consistency in the operations, yeah. great, drives greater confidence that you know that everything is working as intended. And from the employee's perspective, just being better uh, prepared to be able to do your job. Or maybe from a operations perspective or maybe an operation manager, that ultimately it's more challenging to hold these employees accountable if you don't have some of these processes in place. But ultimately, I just approached it um, not really with a, um, a self-interested perspective, but ultimately just from a position of trying to just help um, and just trying to, to be able to kind of understand where they're coming from and just be able to kind of support um, any way that uh, would help them out. Yeah, oh, man, I, I love that. And, and I know that you, you said that you're working more with uh, 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 digital agencies now. Was that was that always the case with the uh, with with the company's clients or is that a more recent kind of transition into that niche? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a more recent transition. We've had like, I don't even know, um, like three or four different variations of Great Lakes Advisory or versions, I guess. Um, but the initial version was really built around uh, actually medical practices because my dad mm. is um, a ENT physician, so like ear, nose, and throat. Um, and my dad's a doctor, my sister's a doctor, my brother's a doctor. And I know that, I mean, you look at what 
the education that a physician or a doctor goes through and they basically go through a ton of biology, science classes and basically zero type of business education. Mm. They're clearly very, very bright individuals. And so originally thought that that was going to be a right market. Um, the challenge there was that um, there's a lot of egos within um, the, uh, the entire medical community and a lot of the uh, smartest person in the room type of mentality. And beyond that, um, I do think uh, physicians and medical doctors um, do are commonly bombarded by a lot of kind of external financial advisors, insurance sure. agents, accountants, just lawyers, just because they do know that they uh, do tend to have maybe some deeper pockets. And so originally kind of started the entire business around helping medical practices um, kind of get all those processes, those systems, uh, those KPIs, the training in place. But then noticed that I started getting a lot more interest outside of uh, mm -hmm. uh, the medical community. And so decided to kind of pivot a little bit and just open it up rather agnostically um, yeah. to serve all industries. And then pretty much lived that entire um, kind of target audience for the next couple of years. And it really hasn't been until probably the last like six or eight months that we're now trying to go back towards kind of niching down um, more so from the perspective that, and I do think that niching is actually really, really important when mm. you are a small business, just because ultimately the more focused you can become on your marketing, on your sales, and ultimately on how you serve your customers, there's just a ton of benefits when it comes to becoming hyper, hyper focused on tailoring that message to yeah. that exact persona that you want to talk with. And then whenever you're building that product or your service, if you're serving, if you're serving every single industry, different size underneath the sun, it doesn't end up working that well to the masses compared to if you make that product or service exactly for that ideal avatar, that yes. perfect company. Um, ultimately, you can get a little bit more standardized and I'll still allow you to kind of customize some features or some areas of your product or service, but um, you can actually save quite a bit when it comes down to like the production of that. And there's quite a bit of like, uh, I don't know, duplicate or replicate. Yes. You can kind of replicate some of that content or that service or create more templates or more kind of a standardized product um, for that offering. And I think that's that's such a good point on on niching down. I'm curious, are you uh, now that you've got that niche? I, I ask this question because I I see a lot of business owners uh, and, and and advisory or coaching companies of different sorts struggling with niche with their own systems. And I think part of the the systems and process that that you've had to figure out is packaging how you help people. So now when, when you come and you find your clients, what does that tend to look like? Is it an ongoing retainer? Is it a, we're going to do things for a certain period of time? Uh, what does the structure look like for your, how you're helping this niche? Yeah. And that's also something that we've uh, recently changed uh, <laughs> as well. So we previously actually had uh, pricing structure, kind of solution structure that kind of sucked. Um, it was... I guess it was kind of good for us. It was uh, one, it was kind of a huge 
project and we probably ultimately kind of priced ourselves out of a couple of opportunities, but we would get a pretty large cash inflow at the beginning of a project. Mm. Um, and then it was really challenging because they're of scope creep. We would try to like define all the processes, all the training that we needed to build out for the organization. We define it all up front during the sale. We'd collect all of the money up front and then we wouldn't deliver something for uh, a little while for several months mm. later. So ultimately realized that that did not provide the most value for our clients and probably was too expensive. So instead we actually just flip the entire solution over on its head, doing all the same things, still doing KPIs, still doing process documentation, still doing training, but ultimately making it much, much more affordable for our clients and ultimately driving value um, a little bit short, I guess a shorter time period. And so now we structure it into a monthly engagement of kind of up to eight total sessions and so that we can reduce the overall time commitments and just drive more value for our clients. Man, I, I, I love hearing all of this being happening in real time because it, it, it makes sense from, from my perspective that all of the systems and processes that, that, that you have in your own company live on top of this foundation of our niche, our, the structure of our offer, our pricing, our positioning. Um, and so I just think that, that that really makes sense and is aligned really well. Um, once, once you find really good clients who are on board, who fit that niche, who make sense with that offer, do, does there tend to be an initial set of systems and processes that you want to get to work on first? Yeah. Um, I think it does kind of vary from business to business and it kind of depends on like where you're at, how big of a company, but usually when we're first getting started with a potential engagement, we do want to kind of better define the scope. And with this monthly engagement, we do kind of allow for some flexibility in mm. kind of reassessing it on a monthly basis. But you do really want to prioritize uh, the highest impact kind of processes yeah. and deliverables. And when you think about impact from our perspective, impact is really driven by two major factors. And so factor number one being how frequently are these processes being performed? And so if you have a process that's being performed every single day, so on a daily basis, that's going to be a much, much more, more uh, impactful process to be able to mm. standardize and ensure that everyone is following that correct process compared to maybe a process that's only being performed once a year or occasionally. The yeah. factor number two would be how many total employees are performing that process. So like the overall head count of the number of employees that are accountable for that process. So just apples to apples, if you have 25 or 50 employees performing the same exact process on a daily basis, that is going to be more impactful than the same 50 employees that are maybe only performing that same process maybe once a year. So the two major factors are, frequency of that process. So the more frequent the process is being performed, the higher the impact. The other one is the total number of employees that are performing that, those processes. So the more employees, the higher the impact. Um, and so um, kind of summarize those, 
what we do when we first get started with an engagement is really kind of assessing and prioritizing, figuring out kind of what processes are being performed and kind of really the 20% of all of your processes that drive 80% of mm. all of those results. So really looking at the processes that are ideally performed every single day, every single week, or maybe every single month. And not to say that we can't at some point um, document or standardize some of those processes that are performed less frequently than that. But yeah. it is really important for us that we actually prioritize those processes first so that we can document them, build out KPIs so that we can get you more visibility into those operations and then develop out customized training. So um, I would first look at kind of breaking down your entire org charts into mm. the different uh, departments, kind of identifying how many folks are in each of those departments, and then just outlining some of the processes that are being performed on a daily, weekly, and a monthly basis. So maybe identifying maybe the top five to maybe top 10 in each of those areas, and then prioritizing first the ones that are the higher on the, or I guess the departments that have more employees first. Yeah. I'm curious, to the extent that you do have clients coming to you with some type of an org chart. Are there any mistakes that you tend to see or that you like have to like ask follow-up questions around to get the clarity that you want? Um, when it comes down to org charts, uh, I guess the common one that we commonly see is probably that um, we actually, we tip, I guess just taking a step back, we typically actually look at org charts almost from the same lens that uh, the EOS operating model uses. So EOS stands for the uh, stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, yep. and they have a really cool tool in uh, that framework or in that operating model called the Accountability Chart. And so yes. we actually kind of they're kind of synonymous, but I actually sort of prefer the Accountability Chart because it's rather than breaking out kind of just who's reporting to who it actually breaks out kind of the overall kind of major buckets or different departments and who's accountable for what. And so yeah. I would say the common issue that we do see is that you'll typically see maybe someone higher up or um, maybe someone on the leadership team actually having multiple areas of accountability. And ultimately some of those areas aren't really falling within their unique ability. So say as an example, maybe the business owner is doing sales, but then they're also doing maybe uh, your customer service or your product delivery. And then they're also maybe doing some of the accounting. And then at the same time, maybe they're not very good at sales and they're maybe not very good at accounting. And so yes. when they're, you really, I would say the common issue is really um, that we commonly see and try to address is just making sure that the employees that you have, if you are wearing multiple hats or you're performing multiple different functions, that you remove the functions that you are not good at or don't enjoy or mm -hmm. maybe just don't like. And keeping you kind of aligned with your area of expertise that you're passionate about, that you're really good at and you love day in and day out. And then bringing on people, standardizing the operations, standardizing the processes and the training for all those other areas so that you can bring on new employees to be able to fulfill those responsibilities. That's, that's so good. And I, I'm totally on board with you in terms of preferring that accountability chart over the or the standard org chart of, of thinking about roles versus people. 
Um, once you've identified who is responsible for what and uh, and start to shift more towards the standard operating procedures and documenting things, do you, based on previous conversations and this conversations, I get the sense that you're a pretty kind of tool or setup agnostic guy. Is there a way that you like SOPs and documents looking or a certain tool or tech that you recommend that they get built out in? Yeah. So we actually work exclusively with Trainual. It's spelled okay. T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L. It is a awesome, awesome um, centralized location to be able to build out playbooks and to be able to house all of your process documentation, all of your training, all of your policies, your company information, your org chart, and everything that your employees need to know to be able to perform their job. So it really becomes kind of the single place of truth for performing everything that they need to be able to be able to perform. Um, so that is always going to be, it's kind of the gold standard within kind of the playbook or kind of learning management community for small to medium sized businesses. Um, so that's always going to be kind of our recommendation of where you should build it out. Um, okay. really from the perspective that it allows you to actually automate all of your training and your onboarding, and then also provide employees with kind of that reference material that after they complete onboarding and training that they can actually lean on that. Um, it also makes it a little bit easier compared to like having a huge daunting like Dropbox or Google Drive. And it's challenging to kind of verify whether or not employees have actually read through that materials or viewing the most up-to-date um, SOPs. And so just having that in one location and being able to build out kind of a unique training path for each of those uh, functional roles makes it super simple. Um, beyond that, as far as, so Trainual is really a awesome app to teach you how to perform everything that you need to be able to, um, uh, how to perform all of your responsibilities, those processes, but it doesn't necessarily actually do the processes mm. for you. Yes. And so we are agnostic to the tools that obviously you would use. Um, we do, I guess it kind of depends on what industry and what area, but having clearly a type of CRM tool or um, a project management, maybe depending if you're more on the professional service side, maybe some type of time tracking software, um, clearly having an accounting software for just about any industry is valuable. Um, but we're a little bit more agnostic towards those tools. We do have some, um, I really like the tech stack that we use, um, but pretty agnostic when it comes to those other tools. Can you, can you share your preferred tech stack? I'm sure people yeah. are interested. Yeah, of course. So um, we use a ton of different applications, <laughs> but uh, for all of uh, our marketing and sales, we use HubSpot. So we manage just about everything out of HubSpot and um, we actually process all of our payments on there. We run all of our social media through their newsletters, um, our entire sales pipeline. Um, we do, we actually use a sales enablement platform called Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O.io. It's an awesome application to be able to like, um, find kind of do some prospecting efforts. Um, and then we use, um, what else do we we use Slack for internal messaging. We use Asana for 
uh, project management. And then we use Databox uh, for a lot of our KPIs. And that's actually the same application we use for our clients um, so that we can actually bring in a lot of different um, applications into one centralized dashboard. And then beyond that, um, I mean, we're on Google. So all like the Google sure. uh, suite. And then, um, yeah, I think I said Harvest for time tracking and then uh, QuickBooks. So those are like, the, I mean, there's other tools, but those are like the primary tools. Yeah, no, well, I, I appreciate you giving that and, you know, the, the agnosticism as well on it, because I think that, Sometimes business owners can get very, you know, grass is greener on all of this stuff and think that the their time shifting to a cooler tech is uh, more effective than just using their existing tech stack more effectively. Yeah. Um, and I would probably throw out, I think it is, I mean, some people I think just uh, like to just like, sometimes just think that we're going to just throw money at like a problem or like an yes. issue by just like adding more tech. I actually would advise like, trying to limit the overall yeah. applications that you're using. So clearly if you, if you do have an application that's working, um, then trying to just like figure out all the different use cases, making sure that you're maximizing kind of all the features within that application rather than just trying to like add more and more, tech stack, which yeah. ultimately sometimes the subscription costs can become a little bit burdensome to the overall overhead. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you have to kind of just figure out kind of all like around the processes, around the systems, how you can kind of streamline, automate and make ultimately the work a little bit easier for all of your internal employees yeah. and hopefully improve the quality of the work uh, for your clients as well. And so um, yeah, there's, there was one piece of tech you mentioned that I'd love to circle back to, um, Slack and not specifically Slack, but really any type of email communication alternative. Um, one thing that we've really seen to be helpful and I'm hearing more businesses talk about is shifting away from email for team communications. And I, I think it might go back to what you said as well about like the org chart versus the accountability chart. And when you start to see your company as about roles and not necessarily about people, it can become more important to be communicating in certain team channels um, and shifting away from just who's the one person that I need to send this communication to. Can you talk at all about the either the importance of a tool like Slack at, instead of email or any tips you have of using something like Slack so that it can be really effective for the team? Yeah, I actually don't think I've ever sent a single email to any of our internal I, I like, employees. Uh, I really, I can't think of a single email I've ever sent. I mean, we will we'll set up like, um, I guess, calendar invites, but even then I don't think I've ever sent a single email. Um, mm. Uh, we all of our internal communication is all through Slack. And I do find that having a communication tool like that does allow other team members to have a lot more visibility yeah. in really actually organizing a lot of those conversations appropriately. So, I mean, in our world, it just makes more sense. So we kind of 
have designated channels for each of our clients, but you could also just have designated channels for kind of your different departments. So just making sure that when you're asking questions related to the responsibilities or some of the work that needs to be done, having all those other team members in that same channel so that they are basically always copied on that email would be sort of the analogy is just always provides them with that insight and so that they're always informed and knowledgeable. I think other things that are pretty cool is that Slack also, well, I like Slack a lot more than Teams, but Slack allows you to also like integrate a lot of your applications. So when we get things, when, I don't know, we get a new lead or a new sale kind of closes on HubSpot, it will like automatically like create a new channel in Slack. It'll add all the other team members. It'll send all of like the deal information and it just keeps everyone informed rather than having to do some of the other manual inputs. I also think from an engagement standpoint, um, having like that uh, communication channel that allows you to kind of be a little bit more fun, always available. um, It's a little bit more, I would say, uh, I I would say it's less approachable, I guess. And if if you're all just working on an email or just based off of email, um, and I think it's a little bit more of like, I guess an open door type of policy. If you're always online and you can always just shoot a quick message uh, right. to your employees. Um, so yeah, no, I, I love Slack. It's fantastic. Well, well said. So, so do we, as, as we start to wrap up here, I want to make sure that we don't um, skip over this topic of KPIs. Cause we talked about documenting the systems. We talked about uh, making sure that you're actually following these systems and the standard operating procedures in terms of KPI tracking um, any any particular like off the bat tips you want to give on um, what you recommend people do mistakes you tend to see um, I guess can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that like I guess what uh, how many yeah like is there uh, one one question that I have is because you're You've got the trainual set up. Let's just say you're, you're working with your typical client. You've got you've got trainual set up for the SOPs, and then you've got this suite of apps that you're using to make sure that these SOPs are being implemented. Is there a, a centralized hub or tool or tech that you're using where the KPIs of all of these systems are being put into into one place? Yep. So. Uh, the application that we use is Databox. And so okay. Databox just allows you to integrate just about any application underneath the sun. Plus they also can integrate with like Google Sheets. If hopefully you're not managing everything off of like a spreadsheet, but you can also like integrate a Google Sheet and you can also set up um, API connections so that you can create these customized uh, connections. But I would say a good best practice when you're, kind of determining KPIs is that trying to just keep it simple and trying Mm -hmm. to keep it meaningful because ultimately the KPIs that you set, it's more important to probably have two to three meaningful critical drivers for a particular area of the business, whether it's sales or marketing, customer solutions or accounting or any of the other different departments rather than listing out 
25 different metrics that ultimately kind of creates more confusion for all of the employees. And ultimately you're kind of like bringing them into like, I guess you're pulling them in five different directions and ultimately it just comes across as very, very noisy. And so I would highly encourage really figuring out what are the critical drivers of what does success look like in those departments and ultimately picking KPIs that direct or employees within that department are able to really have a significant influence and ability to actually create or add activities or change that um, uh, particular KPI. And so just as like a quick example, like we always like to tie kind of a leading and a lagging KPI to a particular process. And a good uh, process to probably, or one that should be easy for everyone to understand would probably be a sales process. Just about every single organization has some type of sales element to how you actually bring on new customers. And so depending on your industry and your niche, you might, and how you generate kind of leads and opportunities, it could be maybe that uh, the, like, obviously the end result of the process usually can be ultimately a great lagging KPI, which is ultimately the outcome that you are targeting. So in the world of sales, if you follow each of the steps in the sales process, it should result you in probably either a new customer, or maybe it's kind of revenue, um, that that, uh, customer will pay you. So, uh, by chief, by following that sales process, the lagging KPI would probably be maybe like revenue from new customer or that just the new customer themselves. But there's probably going to be a couple of other steps leading up to that sale that ultimately influences that sale or that new customer. And that could come in the form, depending on what you're doing from a sales strategy or from a marketing strategy, it could be maybe outbound calls. Maybe it could be kind of like webinars that you're hosting, or maybe it could be kind of that first step in the sales process. Some people have longer sales cycles. Maybe they have a couple of different steps in the sales process. Other people have like a one time or one call sale. So um, it could just be the number of intro calls that you have with those, um, with those prospects. So clearly the more intro calls you have, probably the more um, opportunities you have to be able to close that opportunity. So um, I would choose a, K- a leading KPI and pair it with a lagging one that ultimately is relevant and um, can heavily influence um, that lagging. I love that you started talking about leading and lagging indicators because that was something that our company definitely learned the hard way. And uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with that language, I, I think that Chris did a great job of breaking it down. Of the the, the leading indicators are uh, KPIs tracking stuff that you are in control of that will lead to that lagging indicator that's outside your control. That's the outcome, like a call or a sale being booked, uh, a sale happening. So, um, just to just to make sure that I'm aligned with with you on this, Chris, it, it sounds like your your systems and processes support you in honoring your leading indicators. And then you, 
those systems you hope get you that lagging indicator? Well, I would say the leading indicators kind of provide you with that visibility to make sure that you're on track for achieving those lagging indicators. Yeah. So like a lagging indicator ultimately doesn't have any type of influence for the next period. So like if say as an example, like closed business last month, just because I may be closed X Ooh. number of dollars last month, doesn't of new business doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have that same exact result the next month. But if, because ultimately maybe the leading indicator that really drives a sale is how many discovery calls or how many kind of outbound calls I have. Yeah. And ultimately if I just didn't do any outbound calls or any discovery calls the previous month, I might not actually close any sales the following month. So I think having that leading indicator allows you to ensure that your folks are following those processes because yeah. ultimately you're, tr you're targeting that outcome of what the process should result in. Mm. This is, this is such a good conversation, Chris. And, and thank you for your time. I, I, before we, before we start to wrap things up and I want to make sure that we have time for, for you to promote all that you're doing, including uh, a podcast coming soon. I'd love to, to pick your brain on this because this has been something that's been top of mind in a lot of masterminds that I'm in right now. Going back to your idea of the org chart versus accountability chart. And if you as a business owner think about that accountability chart that is more role-based where you might be filling both the CEO seat but also other roles, what do you tend to see as patterns, if any, of really strong leading indicator KPIs that business owners take responsibility for, whether that's as CEO or as some other type of role that the CEO tends to fill really well. Leading indicators that a CEO should be tracking, or I guess maybe I'm not. Uh... Yes. So um, I, I guess another way to ask it is, I'm hearing more and more business owners talk about how systems have helped free up their time. And they're becoming less and less confident of how they should best be spending their time. What systems they should be inserting themselves into for the biggest payoff. Um, when you're working with business owners, are there certain things that you tend to see as not only KPIs, like very key performance indicators, but things that the, the business owner is really responsible for um, acting on, following those SOPs every, every day, week, or, or month? Well, um, I think from the business owner's perspective, or maybe more someone in the visionary seat, I think yeah. that uh, if you're, I think a big kind of goal or a big area of accountability that they should be focusing in on is really hopefully achieving kind of your, your one-year goal, your three-year goal, and kind of your 10-year vision, the, and making sure that you have all the right people in the right seat. Um, I think, and then also just making sure that you're meeting some of those measurable goals. So mm -hmm. I would say a big leading indicator for kind of a visionary or kind of a, a CEO or business owners that ultimately your ability to make sure that you're painting a vivid picture of what that one year 
looks like and mm-hmm. or really that 10 year and kind of bringing it back down to a three year and a one year. But ultimately the leading indicator there and how great you are and executing your overall vision is making sure that you're choosing appropriate goals each quarter that are ultimately the mm-hmm. highest impact goals to reaching your one year picture. So not there might be a lot of big, hairy, audacious things that you want to do over the next three, 10 years, but really choosing what's going to create the largest impact this immediate quarter yeah. and making sure that you hold the employees accountable to those areas or to those goals and those milestones. Because ultimately it's those, everything that needs to be accomplished in this 90 day sprint that ultimately gets us one step closer to the one year into the three year into the 10 year. And so I think as a visionary, really making sure that you run a really strong leadership team that you have the right mm. place, um, but also setting the culture of your organization and making sure that all of your employees uh, embody your core values, um, I think is really important. I mean, those aren't really necessarily KPIs, but I would say that those are important areas to be that you should be responsible for. But then also maybe just, um, I guess, some of the, the P&L and just making sure mm-hmm. that um, all of these goals that you're setting ultimately kind of drives value towards those measurables that you're targeting. Yeah. As, as you guys can see, Chris knows his stuff and he was kind enough to hop on here and, and let me ask questions that we haven't totally gone through beforehand. Chris, again, I just want to thank you for this conversation from conversations that we've had in the past and just how generous you are with, with your time, with your team's time and helping other businesses get these systems and processes in place. I, I know that, well, first let's talk about your podcast uh, because it sounds like this is going to be incredibly helpful, especially for these digital agencies. Tell us more about that. Yep. So um, we're just in the process right now of launching a new podcast. It's called the Agency Accelerator, um, really intended for anyone that is working at a digital agency to really provide you with a one-stop shop of really learning from all the best practices from all of the industry experts. And so the each show, we will be recording kind of a weekly uh, or releasing kind of an episode each week where we'll be interviewing kind of industry experts, whether or not they are maybe an owner of a digital agency or maybe they're kind of a COO or a director of operations, someone on the leadership team, maybe from sales, but really kind of diving into their area of expertise with the hopes that maybe you can kind of learn a little bit more about kind of what how they were able to kind of really drive um, and really execute their entire vision or their agency's kind of growth strategy. So um, yeah, it's uh, that's releasing next month should have, um, I don't actually have a a watch date yet, but it should be releasing. um, We're going to release the first five episodes uh, sometime later in June of 2023. And uh, we do have a sign up link um, for the waitlist for the podcast launch. And I'll, I'll share that with Joey in the show notes. Um, beyond that too, if, uh, if anyone ever needs any help or would need some um, 
resources. I do have a pretty uh, couple of cool uh, free guides just to help you get started. I do have an awesome framework that teaches you our proprietary framework of how to document the process. I'll make sure that I share that with Joey. And then um, I also have an awesome kind of ebook that I wrote recently um, that really helps you to ensure that you can get to all of your um, employees aligned and really streamline all of your operations. And so I'll share that with Joey as well. That's fantastic. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for your time, for those resources, for the podcast that's coming. Keep making that awesome impact that you're making and helping people uh, the same way that you helped your dad. I love that story, man. Yeah, thank you. Well, ho hope to see you in Chicago soon. And everybody else, I'll, I'll catch you next week on the Business Growth Advantage. Bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.